The youth ministry and young adult ministry are headed to the Ladle Soup Kitchen on Sunday, October 10th from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. For this homeless outreach, we are partnering with the First Presbyterian Church of San Diego, which is located in downtown. Here we will be able to serve the local homeless population with clothing and meals. If you would like to serve, please email Ryan for times and further information. We hope you can serve with us. Our annual Harvest Festival is here. Join us Saturday, October 30th from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. This is a great opportunity to invite your friends and family. Join us out on the patio so you can get some flyers to pass out. We'll have games, bounce house, photo booth, and more. We hope to see you there. Well, good morning and welcome to La Jolla Community Church. I hope you all are doing well this morning. Will you stand with us if you are able? We're going to get started in some worship. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship his holy name, sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship your It's a new day dawning, it's time to sing your song again, whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the on that 
failing the end draws near and my time has come still my soul will sing your praise unending ten thousand years and then forever
to learn how to know you better, to draw closer to you, and to spread your love to those around us. We lift up the musicians that draw us to worship. May our song of praise be pleasing to you. We pray for a fresh anointing on Pastor Scott to teach and convict us. May we not only hear, but receive your truth and accept your guidance that we may grow closer to you and continue to become the unique person you created us to be. We pray for Ryan and the youth as they go forth to minister this afternoon. May your spirit touch both the giver and the receiver. We join in prayer with this community. As you say in your word, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. For those in pain of body, mind, or spirit, bring your healing. For those mourning or in turmoil, bring your peace. For this family of believers, bring the joy of your presence. Help us to hear your voice and stay in your perfect will for us today. We ask this in your precious name, and we will continue to give you all the honor and glory and praise. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So be it. Well, good morning, La Jolla Community Church. You may be seated. How's everybody doing on this wonderful Sunday morning? We all in spooktacular mode yet? Who's got their Halloween costume picked out? Anybody? Yeah, I love it. Well, my name is Ryan Sylvia. I am the Director of Student Ministries here at La Jolla Community Church, and I want to welcome you all to our church service this Sunday morning. On your way in, you should have received one of our fancy new bulletins designed by Josh in the back. He is awesome and wonderful. The fun thing about this little bulletin, if you notice, in the middle, it will fold in half. It's got a little perforation in that top half will tear right off. Our hope and our prayer is that you would take this top part home. You would bring it to a neighbor, a friend, a family member, somebody who maybe you know has been struggling in this season, who hasn't been able to get themselves plugged in, who's been a little afraid of how to plug back into life. If you know somebody that would be blessed by a church service that 
that would be blessed by getting involved and plugging in here at La Jolla Community Church. Make sure you take that little card home, hand it to them, let them know that we have a wonderful family here that is welcome with open arms to bring them in, love on them, and care for them. So please take that top part home. On the back, you'll see a little announcement for our Halloween lock-in. If you know anybody between the ages of 6th and 12th grade, we are so excited to be offering our spooktacular fun Halloween lock-in this year. On the bottom half of that card, however, is our prayer and our connect card. So on that first side, it says get connected with us. This is how we get you plugged in, involved, and engaged in some of the wonderful ministries we've got going on here at La Jolla Community Church, like our young adults lunch, like our youth, like children's ministry, like ushers. If there's any ministry that you would like to be a part of, if there's an organization, something that you want to partner with, let us know so that we can get you connected, we can get you plugged in and engaged here at La Jolla Community Church. On the back side of that card is our prayer card. We at La Jolla Community Church believe in being a family who lifts up each other's needs and desires to the feet of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you've got something difficult going on in your life, you've got a need, financial, physical, spiritual, whatever is going on in your life, please take a moment, fill out that prayer card. Let us know what's going on in your life. My favorite thing that I get to do every single week is individually pray over every single prayer request because we at La Jolla Community Church are a family. We lift each other up, we care for each other. Or if you've got something wonderful going on in your life, a praise report, please take a moment, fill that out. Let us know how we can praise and worship our Lord Jesus Christ this Sunday. Uh, on your way out, there are boxes in front of you is the offering envelopes and the seat backs in front of you. And you can drop off your prayer connect card and the offering envelope on the boxes that are mounted to the wall as well as in the Welcome Center. Well, again, we thank you all so much for joining us. And with that, I would love to invite Scott up to lead us in a message. Thank you so much. Good morning, everybody. Let's start a quick story. My son is 15. When he was two, uh, he got sick one day, as little kids do. And I was uh, uh, going off to play golf. <laughs> a good friend of mine said, hey, uh, he was moving. And he said, let's play one last time together. My treat, let's play at Torrey Pines. I said, okay. So it's one of those kind of, how sick is he? Uh, Honey, is it okay if I go? She said, go, you know go play golf, go have fun. But then on the second hole, she called me, answered my phone, and she said, he's really sick. He's got a high temperature. What do you think we should do? I said, take his temperature and click. Go back to playing golf. A couple holes later, she sends me a text. I need to call the pediatrician, okay? A hole later, she calls me again. She says, I talked to the pediatrician. His temperature is 105. And it's right around 5 o'clock. The office is going to close. So what does the pediatrician say to do? Take him to children's, take him to the ER. So that's my wife, my wife's kind of panic, you know, stress, panic. I got to take him to, ch- I got to take him to children's. Where are you? I said, well, I'm on hole five. <laughs> I'll see you there. And I turned to my friends and I recognized that where we are, if you've ever played Torrey Pines, where we are, I have to get back to the car. There's no carts. You have to walk in. And I see where our cars are, where the clubhouse is. The next hole is the sixth hole. And the sixth hole is kind of going in that direction. And it's a part three, so it's not going to take that. And I have to walk there anyways. It doesn't take much longer. To, so I turned to my friend Mike, and I said, we will never mention this. <laughs> we're playing the sixth hole. I parted, it, and we were joking about it the other day. 13 years later, we still never told my wife. There's something about loyalty with friends that I particularly value. Uh, cl- uh, uh, what is that? Loose lips sink ships. I love loyalty with friends. Uh, our son, that same son, he's kind of accident prone. He, he fell off his bike in the middle of the hills about a year ago. And my wife called and he's panicked. He got knocked unconscious. He broke his collarbone. 
and I wasn't there, and my wife's trying to find him. So I've got two of them on my kind of find your phone, find your GPS, and I could tell that they're in opposite parts of this uh, uh, like park area, like a mile apart. And I think, Brad, Brad's a good friend. Brad lives a mile down the road. Brad's home. I called Brad and said, Brad, here's the situation. Kale's, he's up in the hills. Carrie doesn't know where he is. I'm on it. Where is he? Brad drives there, helps Carrie find my son, is there with his other boy to help find the bike. And it's those kinds of friends and those sorts of moments, the hospital trips, the, the airport runs, the, hey, can you help me move something? We, we love and value those friendships. We need those people in our lives. Today, though, we're going to talk about what is it that God's inviting us to on the next layer, the next level of friendship. And what I would love for you to do, and this can be a little bit unconventional, maybe the normal Sunday, I want you to either break out a pen and paper or your phone and take notes and, or just think on your own. But I'm going to give you about a minute, a little awkward quiet. And I want you to think, maybe write down a list of attributes or qualities, bullet points, of things that you look for in friends, things that you want in friendships, things like loyalty and honesty, things like there for me in an emergency or in a crisis. What's on your list? Take a minute on your own, I'll be quiet, and just make some notes. I'll share with you some of the qualities I look for in friends on my list. Obviously, loyalty, mentioned that. I also love companionship. I love doing things with people. I love that question, what if we? What if we did this? And I just, I don't know, there's some energy in life there every single time a friend asks. So I like to do something, to share memories, share moments with friends. I like to be able to let my guard down. I feel like a lot of my life is being presentable. I liked with friends that I can be messy, I can say things maybe inappropriate, which is my kind of default state, and it's going to be okay. I like when I can share things that I'm wondering about or worrying about with friends. I also like to be challenged by friends. I have a, a, a list, though, I'm sure you do too, of things you don't want, don't like from friends. And I'm sure it's born out of experience. I don't like when friends are clingy. I don't even almost know what to describe. It's almost a feeling I get when someone just is kind of like needy a lot and wants to, is always like, when are we going to hang out next? When are we? I have a friend, sort of a friend, uh, that every single time we, we hang out, which is maybe once a month, uh, within five minutes, what are we going to do next? And I'm just kind of like, bro, let's just enjoy this moment because that's actually making me feel like you're kind of needy. Let's just dial it down a little bit. I don't like that. I don't like when it feels like a friend has an agenda. I had a friend in college that, I could tell when he was angling 
in a conversation to talk about what he wanted to talk about. I don't, I don't like that. I don't like when uh, I have friends who are overly negative or cynical or Eeyore, the sky is falling. I, it it kind of bums me out after time. Uh, I don't really like conflict for the sake of conflict. Someone that just likes to agitate things. don't really like it. And I don't like when things are one-sided. I don't like when friendships are one-sided and only going one way or the other. I like to be asked questions just as much as I'm asking. The ways in which we form our understanding, our ideas, our preferences over friendship are oftentimes obviously born out of our experiences growing up. Right now, I'm watching my kids. I have three of them, and one's in high school, one's in middle school, and I'm watching them navigate friendships. They both have phones, for better and for mostly worse. And every now and then, I will open their phones. They have to plug them in and charge them in our room at night. And I'll, and I'll just kind of scroll through what's going on. They don't really have much internet. They don't have much, but they can text friends. And most teenagers, if you don't know this, most teenagers learn the art. They must go to a class somewhere and say, whatever you do, delete text messages. Don't let your parents ever see you text. But every now and then, I catch them. They hadn't deleted them yet. And I've noticed that they're navigating friendship. Most of the time, it's these so-and-so like so-and-so, and then one person says to the, you know, kind of shares that private secret with someone else, and they find out, and then it just kind of, and I just want to intervene, and I know it doesn't really work to intervene like this, but to like text back for them, <laughs> and say, I'm, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I've been a rotten friend. <laughs> you, you, you trusted me to keep this in confidence, and I didn't. That's not the kind of friend I want to be. I, but I can't do that. I also realize, and you know this from teenagers, I can't just sit them down and say, let me tell you how to be a better friend. Because anything I say, it's one, going to go over their heads. Two, they're not going to listen, probably do the opposite. The other day I was with my daughter and she was kind of indirectly mentioning that her best friend is mad at her. And so I just was, what's going on? Why? And then as soon as I showed any sort of interest in life, she was like, no, no never mind, never mind. I was like, well, like, come on, like, Tell me, I just pretend like, pretend like your dad literally professionally works with teenagers. Just for a second, like you had access to someone who all day, every day thinks about teenagers and their growth and development. Just for, and the conversation was done. I still don't know. We, growing up, especially those years, we have experiences. We were hurt or wounded or we trusted a friend and, and, and we realized we couldn't. They said something that hurt our feelings and we make these subtle sometimes not so subtle vows, almost commitments. Like, I'm never, gonna, I'm never gonna get close like that again. I'm never gonna trust someone with this part of my mind or my heart. I'm never gonna, uh, we, we've, we've had friends say things that were offensive to us. We've, we've shared questions that we had and they shut it down real quick. We've, we've all, I'm sure, had experiences, even in Christian community, where we shared something and then someone just kind of lobbed or grenaded a Bible verse at us, which was some version of just stop thinking about that. And so we decide not to share that anymore. And over time, we actually develop these patterns. How much more so in the last year and a half that we've developed these new habits of staying apart from folks? How much more so are we all struggling with people that have very different viewpoints about how things ought to be and what's right and what's wrong, what's true, what's false? And we're finding ourselves more divided than ever. How do we re negotiate friendships. That's what we're doing this morning. In this overall theme of thriving, in what ways does community, friendship, enable us to thrive? And when we don't have it, or I'd say when we don't practice it the way God wants us to, what are we missing out on? Don't you pray and we're going to look at a passage of scripture.
God, thank you that we, uh, we can come to church and have thoughtful conversations about life, real life. And thank you that all of this is for our good. And I pray that you would help us have open hearts and minds to reconsider friendships despite our experiences, despite the wounds we carry, despite the unresolved uh, arguments or conflicts that we still hold on to. I pray that you would help us to rethink in a new way how to engage in friendships and community so that we could experience more of you and be used by you in more powerful ways. We pray this in your name. Amen. We're looking at uh, Mark chapter 2, and it's a story right after Jesus has just started what many people call his healing ministry. He's been healing people, and the word is getting out. And I like Mark, particularly uh, the way Mark writes the story about Jesus, because it's, it's kind of one episode after another. Bam, bam, bam. It's immediate. It's, it's almost extreme how like, little transitions there are from one intense experience to the next. And as Jesus starts to heal people, I want you to imagine that the, the, him healing people in, in their context is a really big deal. It would be now, but imagine a world without modern healthcare, antibiotics, uh, surgery. Imagine how many of our bodies would look different at this point if we didn't have access to things like penicillin, amoxicillin. Imagine what we would have gone through if we didn't have all the access to things that we currently do. So how much more so a guy that is through the power of God healing people, how much of a, a, a lightning rod that would be, uh, a, like a buzz would be about him. So that's the context of this story in Mark chapter 2. It says, when Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. This is his home village, home region. And soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors, there was no more room even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. We're going to stop there. Four men arrived at this house that was so packed, standing room only, Jesus was inside, that they couldn't even get in. So I almost want to figure out how do we understand what happened with these four guys and a paralyzed friend? Because that had to happen somewhere. They, They enter the scene. Mark doesn't give them any backstory, really. Besides, there's four guys carrying a friend. I I like to imagine that they're somewhere. They're somewhere, and, and, and there's four of them. And the four of them get together with his paralyzed friend, who, by the way, his experience of life being paralyzed, imagine pre-wheelchairs, imagine uh, just for a second bathroom situations, just imagine how difficult and challenging that guy's life was in the ancient world. And then on top of that, you throw in what they all collectively believed to be true, was that if you dealt with something like that, it was only, it was directly because God was upset. God was disappointed. God was punishing. Some version of you've done something wrong and God is giving you this as a way, as a punishment, as some sort of consequence. So not only do you have to deal with the physical stuff and lack of uh, freedom, lack of family in the traditional sense, you also have to have this weight on you that God himself is not happy with you. So four friends get together hear about this guy coming into town named Jesus who heals people. And there's only one of two scenarios here that works out. And I don't know which one it is. On one scenario, you've got the paralyzed guy who's been listening. He sits around and listens quite a bit. He's been listening. hears about this guy coming into town. Could it be? There's something in his mind. Something is, could it be? Could this guy heal me? Could this guy help me walk again? Could that be true? And so he 
pulls together four friends. And then he asks them to do this. Would you please carry me to this house where Jesus is? That's one side. The other side is different. The other side is these four friends get together and they've heard the story and they know this guy. They know this friend. They grew up with him. They've seen him their entire lives. And they come up and they cook up some scheme. One of those four guys had to come up with this idea first. Hey guys, like whispering in the huddle, what if we, and they don't actually need his permission. He's paralyzed. What if we go to this guy and we just pick him up? He might be, he's not going to be kicking and screaming. He might be screaming, but he's not going to, he can't stop us. We're going to, those are two sides we don't know. Mark doesn't tell us. But those are two sides of friendship. Those are two sides of how community works. On one side, you're in a desperate spot. Something's not working. Something's not going well. And you take the initiative to share that. It's a vulnerable thing to do. I need help. I'm stuck. I don't know what to do. I can't get out of this on my own. And you don't know how people around you are going to respond. All you know is doing it on your own isn't working. And on the other side, haven't we all had friends, people in our lives, our relationships, that you know are stuck? They're hurting. And you're, you know it, you talked about it, but you don't see them getting unstuck. That's what community does. That's what friendships do. We go into uncomfortable places with each other. Well, the four men bring him, the paralyzed man, on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above Jesus' head. Now, different construction, but imagine dirt, mud, sticks, hay, wood, that they are separating. It is absolutely disruptive. And you have to think, someone, one of them would have said, should we just wait outside for a few minutes until the crowd disperses? Should we just, should we wait an hour? Do we have to do it right now? But some friend, one of those guys was pulling the guy up saying, we're going to carve a hole through someone else's roof to get to Jesus. It has to happen right now. Sometimes friends get into a crisis and you know it can't go on anymore. We have to do something now. We have to disrupt things. We have to break social norms. We all like social norms. I really do. I like to be polite. I like for you to make a, an appointment. I don't really want you necessarily coming over, knocking on my door anymore. We've all become used to having even more social norms, more kind of boundaries. But sometimes what friends do is you disrupt it. You knock on the door. You open the door. You go to the back door. You break the social norms. That's what you do. So they're carving this hole to get this friend and, it, and they lowered him on his mat right down in front of Jesus. I would have loved to heard what was going on, what the whispers were. Did the guy say, hi? <laughs> Sorry? My bad? I mean, what, what did this guy say? Uh, but some of, uh, here's what Jesus says. It says, seeing their faith, as Jesus has this man, paralyzed man, lowered in front of him, Jesus looks up at these four guys being disruptive, impatient, being, uh, uh, what would you call it, vandalizing <laughs> someone else's home, and he says, I see faith in that. There's faith there. That's faith. Breaking the rules, breaking the norms, doing whatever needs to be done for the sake of someone else. I see faith. 
And Jesus sees their faith and turns to this guy and says, my child, your sins are forgiven. Now, you know this, uh, that's not why they brought their friends. They didn't bring their friend to have his sins forgiven. But when you involve Jesus, when you involve God into a friendship, something always happens. You always go to the layer below the layer. That's what God does. Anytime you involve God, you're not just talking anymore about the situation. You're talking about the stuff going on underneath the surface. That's what happens when you invite God in. And all of a sudden, Jesus actually isn't even addressing why they brought him. He's talking about the deeper thing. He's talking about that deeper sense that this guy's been struggling with. The much deeper, more profound question, what's wrong with me? What have I done? Why would you do this to me? Jesus goes right to that and says, let's talk about that stuff. That's what happens when friends get together and include God. That's actually what we all want. We don't just want a friend to hear about our situation. We don't just want to talk about the crisis. We don't just want a solution to the problem. We don't want just someone to sit with us either. We want someone to help us get there, to go to God. And then it's going to be flipped a little bit upside down. There's a conversation. It creates a kind of a bigger problem as Jesus says that. Some of the teachers of the religious law, the Jewish teachers, were sitting there and they're thinking to themselves, what is this guy saying? What is this guy saying here? This is not the temple. There were no sacrifices made. This was not according to the procedures, rules, policies. He's breaking all of that. Who is this guy? What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can do this. And verse 8 says, Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. And he turns to those guys and says, Why do you question this in your heart? Is it easier for me to say to the paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven? Or is it easier to say, Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? On one level, it's easy to say your sins are forgiven. It's invisible. You can't count it. You can't measure it. So I'm going to show you. I'm going to prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turns to the paralyzed man and says, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up. This is my favorite part. Jumped up, made sure to grab his mat. I have to think it was his mom's. (laughs) Pick up the mat. Uh, jumped up, walking for the first time, made sure to get the the rug to bring back to mom, and uh, walks out, out the door, through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed, and they praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. We've never seen anything like this before. This is what happens. This is what happens when, in friendships, we bring each other to God. I had a friend uh, in, in college, and he and I, at, at graduation, at graduation, we took this trip, and we were hanging out at one of our friend's parents' house. They had a big pool, and we're swimming in the backyard, and I, I don't exactly know what I did. I remember the moment, but I think I, as I remember it, sprayed him with a hose as we're all drying off, ready to get inside and go have dinner. And he said something like, God, Shimmel, why are you so stupid? That's so dumb. Something like that. And I just kind of eh, made a joke and went inside, and I just— was, Getting changed, I just kept kind of, mm, that's frustrating. Because the thing I learned about friendship, I think from my family, was when you have a disagreement, when you're wounded, when you're hurt, when your feelings were hurt, you're not friends anymore. I, my mom had a series of best friends growing up, and they would be around for a year or two or three. They'd be like surrogate mothers. They'd be in our house. We'd be other, 
and then they'd be gone forever. There's like a string of them I've never seen again. That's what you do in friendships. Sometimes they end, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, gosh, I, I was really, I thought we were going to be friends. I, and then there's some other part of me, as I've been with that friend, studying stories like this together, talking about who God was for a couple years at that point. And I kind of half-heartedly prayed, God, what do you want me to do? And I knew right away. And I went outside, and it was one of the most awkward, hey, uh, hey, John, um, that, you know, you just called me an idiot, and he's just looking at me. Like, I, I didn't, I didn't like it. <laughs> I don't know what I said. Like, uh, I, that kind of hurt my feelings. And he just, as, as he gets like, re- like a smiling on his face. And I was like, what? And he goes, and he has four brothers. And he goes, are we in a fight right now? I was like, I, uh, <laughs> he goes, I've only ever had fights with my brothers. This is awesome. He goes, go ahead, keep going. I'm like, well, I mean, you kind of ruined it now. I mean, uh, yeah, I didn't like what you said. He goes, yeah, because I hurt your feelings, right? I go, yeah. He goes, I'm so sorry. I go, okay. <laughs> and he goes, we're like family now. We're like family now. And for 20 years, we talk once a week at least. He lives in Northern California. Uh, a few weeks ago, I knew he had texted me and said, I'm going to be in L.A. visiting family. I'm going to drop something off to family. You're in San Diego. What if we, what if we got together? I text, text back, deal. Where and when? Gave me a date. He said, he knows how much I like golf. He said, let's golf. I found a course. We played golf. And at the whole weekend up, is a Monday, the whole weekend up, I kept thinking to myself, gosh, I don't really have time. I got a lot going on. I just talked to him like a week ago. We're good. There's nothing going on. And my wife's like, you're going to not go see him? Really? I'm like, okay, you're right. I'll go see him. We go, and we, ha- we end up uh, starting golf behind a tournament, which means slow golf. So it was like this long, and if you ever play golf with a friend, you don't really, you talk, but you don't really talk. You just have like a sequence of little 60-second conversations. So, and I'm getting all these text messages and emails and work stuff, and the whole time, up till the 17th hole, 18th hole, I'm like, it's just been a waste of time. I, I, I didn't really need to do this. We're just chit-chatting. And the 18th hole, of course, he's, he says, hey, before we go home, you, you want to grab a bite to eat? You want to grab dinner? Sure, of course, yes, let's have dinner. And I'm thinking on the way to dinner, let's make this short. I got to get home. We get to dinner, we order food, and then he looks at me, clears off kind of the, he goes, so what's going on? What's going on? In the next two hours, we talked about what's going on. And I left there, I was like, that's what friends do. We say things like, what's going on? What's the real story? We ask questions like, what's God doing in your life? We say things like, hey, I, I wonder what the hot topic is. What's your hot topic? We actually invite and poke and, and share the deeper stuff. That's what we do. It's nice to come here. It's nice to have coffee. It's nice to see each other. It's nice to serve along each other too, but we're not doing it. We're not doing it really until we go to the next level. We're not really doing it unless we involve God at the table. So I don't know what this looks like for you. I, I don't know your story about friendships. I don't know how you've been hurt or wounded. I don't know if you're a guy and you were taught like guys don't ever talk about this sort of thing. I don't know your story, but I know this, God has more for you and God wants more from you through you, to 
to other friends. So what does it look like this week? Who is it? Who comes to mind? And I'm going to pray in a minute. I'm going to pray that God puts somebody in your minds, a name, a face. And maybe you haven't talked to them in a while, or maybe you kind of separated in the last year and a half because it's gotten funky. You've disagreed about some stuff. You've talked about some situations that hasn't gone well, so you're kind of backing off. And you're thinking, that's probably it for now or forever. But what does it look like to invite God in to that friendship? What's he going to do? I know this, it's always going to be to the next layer. And it's always going to be towards something for your good and for them. So let's pray. God, um, every time we invite you, every time we invite you in, you come, you work, you show up, you move, you speak, you act. And we want that to be true because we want close friendships. Even for those of us who've said we don't want closeness anymore, we do. Our true hearts, our true selves, we want closeness. We want close friendships. So I pray that you would help us to go there. Bring a, a name or a face to mind right now that, that you're drawing us to. Drawing us to maybe for the first time to a closer friendship or maybe to try to return and reconcile or repair or to go there again. And I pray that you would give us the courage to push through some of the social norms, to show up at the back door, to ask the, the direct and maybe uncomfortable question about what's really going on. I pray that you would help us to do that. And thank you that as we say yes to you, even as we say yes to you and by engaging in worship, even as we say yes to you by engaging in uh, uh, generosity to, through tithes and offering, I, uh, you show up, you do stuff, you, you change things, you bring light and life and energy inside of us. So thank you for that. We pray for the offering now. God, that as we give, you would do something not only in us and through us, but God, you would magnify and multiply these resources to be your hands and feet, to do something miraculous in this town and this world. We pray this in your name. Amen. Your breath in our lungs 
So we pour out our praise to you only. You give life, you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken. And great are you, Lord. And it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you only. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you only. shout your praise our hearts will cry these bones will sing great are you Lord and all the earth will shout your praise our hearts will cry these bones will sing great will cry these bones will sing great are you Lord and it's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise we pour out our praise it's your breath in our lungs so we pour out to you only to your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise we pour out our praise into your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise to you only and great are you And great are you, Lord. So may God the Father bless you with wisdom. May God the Son teach you about how much he loves you. And may God the Spirit help you be more patient, more loving, and more kind. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.